Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Can you see it? Did you know Check, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Bester. In with a shot, he scores! Canucks fans, welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Be sure to use our promo code Hockey Season for $5 off of all your orders and free shipping to all of Canada on orders over $50. The Canucks Conversation is also delivered by DoorDash. You can use our promo code CONVODD to get 25% off your first time order as well as free delivery. So check out DoorDash and use our promo code CONVODD for first time users. It is currently 3.08 a.m. as I'm recording this because a good portion and and kind of a strange portion, like the start of both parts that I recorded with my co-host Cam Robinson who stepped in this week 
they, you know, it was totally my fault. I, I had the audio kind of too loud for Cam on the input, and it kind of screwed up the mics off the start. Somehow it balanced out, and we were able to get, you know, a good hour of content, actually, in that in the end out of all of this. But it was a, a little bit of a struggle. We didn't have the regular studio. was doing things at home, and just, it was my fault. It's been a long time since I've done an interview from this uh, computer and this microphone setup. So a lot of audio troubles, and you'll probably hear a little bit in the conversation that, yeah, Cam might be a little loud. So uh, it was my fault uh, setting that up. But I think in the end, uh, I was able to edit it down and kind of mix some things around to make it sound, I believe, presentable uh, in the end. We we will live and we'll learn from this one. From from now on, when Quads goes on vacation, I will 100% be grabbing our full studio setup and bringing it home with me so that we can make sure to bring out the best quality content for you. But I believe there's a lot of good uh, conversation here in this, in this chat with Cam Robinson, who joins us. Uh, in the first half, we're going to end up talking about the Vancouver Canucks quite a bit, uh, just kind of the changes on the team, what the defense is going to look like. And then in the second half, we swing our way over to the forward group to talk about the top nine. Vasily Podkolzin is talked about quite a bit, obviously. Uh, and then we dive into prospects because it's Cam Robinson. You got to talk prospects with Cam. So, I mean, I hope the editing is okay for everyone. I hope that you guys enjoy this conversation. Uh, if not, maybe just skip this one. We'll be back with a regular show on Saturday. And if Quads isn't back from vacation by then, I will be going into uh, our studio and grabbing all the equipment so we can make sure to have a good quality episode. But uh, it's a great conversation. You know, like I said earlier in uh, this little bit of an intro, Quads is on vacation. He's up camping right now. And I told Cam off the start that this is actually the first time that Quads has gone camping which is crazy for me to think about growing up on the island and camping is something that we obviously did a ton, but uh, that's kind of where the conversation starts. So we'll just throw that right now uh, with my co-host, Cam Robinson. And we're going to start with talking about Quads' first time camping. Yeah, I'm doing well, Chris. Thanks for having me on. I am blown away by uh, by his first ever camping spot at 21. I assume he's camping right under the stars, hey? Like, no shelter, no tent, no nothing, just going right into it, hey? Yeah, I mean, he's staying in a nice cabin. He's got a, a washroom with yeah. running water, all that stuff. He's not even really camping yet, but, you know, I know that you live down on the island, in the south part of the island. Have you... Uh, like, what are some of the, the favorite camping spots for yourself kind of in that area? Because I've spent a lot of time down in Port Renfrew at the Pachita Bay Resort down there. That place is awesome. Uh, but any any sneaky spots on the south part of the island for yourself that you enjoy camping? Yeah, well, I'm off the south side nowadays, but uh, when we were down there, you know, we, we would bump around, you know, Goldstream. We would head up to Port Renfrew. That's where my wife and I got married, too, actually. Um, oh, nice. But now I'm, I'm closer to the north end of the island. And, you know, we like Miracle Beach. It's good for, for the kids. It's got, like, a playground and a little setup like that. Um, but over here on Cortez Island, we've got a couple of pretty sweet spots, too. Smelt Bay, it's a little more rustic, rustic uh, provincial campground. And then we've got uh, the Gorge Harbor, which is a little, a little fancier. We did that this year, too. It's nice. And there's a swimming outdoor swimming pool across the way and a nice little harbor and restaurant when you want to clean up and, and go have some food too so we're not uh, it's almost glamping these days but we we still use the tent yeah i think that there's a lot of glamping going on especially like kind of after you know the pandemic kind of slowed down for the summer i think a lot of people are getting out i've seen a lot of people kind of just getting out there and doing that camping trip maybe for the first time similar to quads but i don't think that uh that's kind of a new thing for a lot of people and it's kind of weird because it felt like last summer you know, it was so difficult to go out and get camping done. So it felt like everyone kind of dove into it this summer. It was cool to see everyone outdoors. Yeah, it's a perspective. We couldn't get a camping spot to save our lives. We were That's supposed true. to go this month too. We we're going to hit up, meet up some friends, and uh, but you know, if you weren't on it, like as soon as they opened up, like, man, you're going out to like Buttle Lake if you were lucky or something like that and, and snaking some of these really, really out of the out of the way spots. And so we didn't get to do as much camping as we would have liked to this year, but you know, living on Cortez Island, it's 
we're in nature here all the time anyway, so it's all good. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a little camping hack that I've used over the past couple of years here. When you take like a hot dog bun, you don't actually like slice it in half. You kind of slice a hole through the middle. You throw a hot dog in there, and then you take some some tinfoil wrap. You wrap it around, and you kind of bake it almost like like you know like a hot pocket. It would be similar to like a camping version of a hot pocket. I'm wondering if you got any any camping hacks or any you know campfire cooking hacks up, up your sleeve there, Cam. Oh man, that's hilarious! I remember doing that at like a hockey camp a hundred years ago, and one of the one of the camp counselors showed us that one. We were the, the baked dogs, and yeah, that yeah. was a good one for sure. Um, it's like the supercharge when you microwave your hot dog when you're a kid. You don't throw it right in the bun and do that. It's, it's disgusting now, but good over the fire. Um, camping hacks for me. Oh man, uh, you know. If you start drinking early in the day, just keep it going. It would probably be the best hack. Mm-hmm. That's that's the way to do it. I mean, <laughs> to avoid the hangover, you just wake up in the morning and get right back to it. But you know, another it's one. Either that or you'll fall asleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Either or. I mean, you're you're going to avoid the hangover at that point. We did a so we had like a, a dadgler party. It was one of our friends who was getting married and uh, or it wasn't getting married. He was having a kid, so we we're having a dadgler party instead of a bachelor party. Uh, and one of the things that we did was we rented like the biggest U-Haul that we could. It had electricity inside of it. We we didn't actually even set up tents, and it ended up pissing down rain. Uh, this was actually down in Port Renfrew, and using the massive U-Haul was a great idea. I mean, we slept like six guys in that thing by the end of it. Oh, my God. I bet you the smell was just putrid, a bunch of dudes <laughs> in my U-Haul container. Yeah, we had to crack the door like every couple hours because it was getting bad. It, it definitely wasn't for the smell, but you know, the, you know, know, like we said, the alcoholic beverages kind of cancel out a lot of the smell anyways. Absolutely, I like that. That's pretty smart. And yeah, you got the you got the electrical in there. You can charge up your phones and get the music going. That's not bad. I like yeah. that. It was a good move. And honestly, like the cleanup, like you don't take down tents or anything, right? You just get out there, you sweep the thing out, and you're gone. It, it was like the cleanup. We were gone by like nine thirty, which is a crazy time to get out of camping. Yeah, no doubt. It reminds me of um, some music festivals back in the day after like a four day festival, <laughs> and people just abandon all their camping gear because they're too lazy to pack it up and leave. And so you can just like walk around and pick up tents or Coleman stoves or just coolers laying around half full. And so depending on how hurt we would would be, we would maybe migrate around and see if we could pull anything juicy. Yeah, we. Uh, I got a good story about that actually. We were we went to the last Pemberton uh, music festival before that kind of shut down. I guess maybe 2016. I'm guessing that would have been and. We, we snuck in the vodka through the water bottles trick, and then we put, like, a little yeah. uh, little black dot on the bottom to know which bottles were actually water and which bottles were, you know, straight-up vodka. And on the last day of Pemberton, we're all packing up our stuff, and my buddy Chad, uh, he goes to, uh, t- to take a big slam of water. Uh, you can probably guess where this is going. Uh, after five days of music festival partying, he takes a massive slam of vodka. And at that point, he just kicked out, like, the pegs into his tent, and he just walked to the truck. Like, he didn't say a word. He drank it. We all knew exactly what happened. Uh, And he just head down, kicked the tent down, left everything, walked right to the truck. He was done at that point. I love it. I love it. We have a similar one. I went to the original Pemberton in in 2008, so you guys were probably just babies back then. Um, And and they were not prepared for 40,000 people. Like, you couldn't (laughs) find a garbage can if your life depended on it. The, the porta potties were getting zap strapped after like the second day just yeah. shut. But uh, we thought we could bring in our booze. And so we're all waiting on like the airport tarmac waiting to get in. Mm-hmm. And these securities are riding up and down the path saying, no, you can't bring in booze. We're like, oh my God. So we did the same thing, emptied a whole bunch of our uh, water bottles and, and put in, filled them up with vodka. But we didn't mark them. <laughs> Somehow in the chaos between getting into the festival and loading all our gear, we lost a flat of vodka. And so we're pretty, we're pretty sad about that, but you know, we were well prepared anyways. Um, like two days later, 
couple of our friends were all, you know, having a good time and, and they were fooling around like wrestling a guy and a girl and he grabbed the water bottle to like pour on her head oh, no. and it's straight vodka and it's like somehow they ended up with our case of vodka and had no idea and just pouring vodka like into her face. Oh, oh it was awful. Her nose was bleeding. He felt so bad. It was such a terrible scene. But then we ended up with the rest of our vodka, so that was cool. <laughs> That's a yeah, good find in the end. I'm sure the girl didn't appreciate that that much. That's got to be quite the burning, uh, you know, especially at a music festival. I wonder what it was like at the, maybe you can help me here, the original one. Because I remember, you know, the one that I went to was the last one. Pretty well set up. You know, food trucks everywhere. Uh, I remember one food truck just selling bacon strips. I think they gave, like, it would sell you five bacon strips <laughs> for about $15. But what was, what was the food <laughs> set up at the first Pemberton? like for food trucks anything like that oh yeah they had food trucks and they had that little lemon heaven which is our oh, favorite right you go and get yourself a giant lemonade you take best. a couple sips and you fill it up with vodka but uh but no it was like i said like they were just completely unprepared like they tried to say like no booze but it was just there was all the people who volunteered they got their weekend wristband and then they just disappeared into the crowd so there wasn't enough staff to like manage the lineups uh, like I said, there's no garbage cans anywhere. So people just like had to throw their garbage around. It was chaos. Like um, at one point there was the DJ tent that was like lined up for like six hours just to get in to see Dead Mouse. <laughs> and so we, we didn't, we didn't bother lining up. We're not going to waste six hours of our time. But then like as Dead Mouse is about to perform, a bunch of people just start shaking the gate, knock down the fence. And we're like, okay. And then we're just smashed into the DJ <laughs> tent and we got to catch Dead Mouse too. Uh, it was it was anarchy, but it was, you know, we were like 21 or something like that and it was it was definitely a good time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was thinking, I was like, man, I'd love to get back to one of those, but I was, you know, I was 22, I guess, 23 at the time. I don't know if I could do it at 28 again. It'd be, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I could go through those five-day stretches like we had at Pemberton again. What you got to do is, like, I used to hit up, we used to hit up the Squamish Music Fest, too, mm-hmm. and they had the Best Western, like, down the road, and we, we were oh. geniuses. We'd book it, like, a year in advance, and, you know, it's like a 20-minute walk, which is no problem in, in the summer, especially when you're festing, but you go there, and you miss out on that nighttime camping party, right. but you also get a little bit of sleep. There's a shower, um, and you know what? You can just go in and party in the campground anyways until you want to go home and, you know, walk home at 3, and then you actually get a little bit of sleep, too, so that's kind of the adult music festing. I'm 35 now. I think I'm past my prime. But uh, I managed to, to pull it off up until twenty eight, twenty nine. Anyway. Yeah, you uh, you sold me when you said the word shower. That sounds uh, pretty good. Uh, <laughs> hey, right. we'll, we'll move on from Music Fest. I know that uh, I'm excited to get you on here because, you know, Quads and I have discussions about the Vancouver Canucks every week, and it's always great to, to bring on a different perspective about the team. And uh, the Vancouver Canucks have made so much change uh, to their roster this year, uh, especially in the offseason with the trades for Oliver ekman Larson. And I haven't really got to hear a lot of your thoughts on – you know, just what you think this team kind of did this offseason. Like, obviously, they made big moves bringing in OEL, bringing in Garland, but it could be some long-term ramifications as well. But your kind of initial thoughts on the direction that the Canucks have kind of taken this offseason and where they're going with it. Well, let's just say, like, um, how about this? Say their cap situation was like a bullet wound. They just slapped some duct tape on it. And so the bleeding is slowed, which is nice. Uh, but one of these days that 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 it's going to get soaked with blood and it's going to come popping off again. So, uh, you know, moving out those contracts to, to AZ was good for right now. Um, you know, a little bit of short-term gain for long-term pain. So okay. the only way that they're really going to see their way out of that, I think, is if they get lucky and the cap spikes after, you know, three years of being flat here. Um, I, I get what they're doing. I, I understand that they've painted themselves into a corner where, 
they should they have to go for it. They basically have to compete now with the guys that they have on their roster. Um, the contracts they have, you know, JT Miller and Bo Horvat are going to come up in a couple of years. Um, these guys aren't getting any younger. Obviously, you know, it would have been nice if you could have actually competed when PD and Quinn were on their entry level deals, but now they won't be. And it's like, okay, now, you know, Pedersen said it too. Like I want to play for a winner. And obviously he doesn't need to say that out loud. Everybody knows it. These guys want to play for winners. Everybody wants to play for a winner. But you have to prove that you're willing to take those steps necessary. So um, personally, I did not like the trade at all. Um, I really like Connor Garland. He's going to make their top six that much better. I think he's a very, very good player. I do not like OEL game. I used to love him too. Like he was when he was draft eligible and like went top ten there. I think he went sixth. Like I, he, in my mind, he was like the perfect defenseman. I was like, this kid's going to be a potential Hall of Famer. He's so so good. But his game has just crashed down to earth so much over the last few years. And you know the knee injury, and you know you can blame. Some of if you want on him being a little just uh, not interested in playing in the desert anymore. He wanted out last year, it didn't work out, and so now he's just kind of sulking, I guess. And so you're hoping that a player who had the C on their sweater and kind of gave up on their team is going to turn it around in Vancouver. Don't love that. Um, I think he's just you know paid like a number one defenseman when you're hoping to get number four level out of him for a couple of years before the slide comes even further. Uh, so uh, it's. It's a it's a short term move for a GM who needs to save his job. Um, if they don't make the playoffs, I mean anything goes with with Aquilini these days. Who knows? They might extend him for five years even if they miss the playoffs. But realistically, in a real world with with people that are thinking clearly, if they miss the playoffs this year, there there isn't a really a reason to keep ending around. Uh, so he's making these moves to save his save his ass long term, and that's why you don't have GMs in these spots. That's you know you you want to have guys that have long-term perspective and you're never going to get it too long because it, it's a short-term window for a lot of these guys unless you're David Poyle or something like that in Nashville and you get a 20-year contract um it's they're going to be better next year they're going to be a more fun team probably obviously the infusion of Pod Colson is going to be great for for that middle six Hoglander is going to take another step you expect Pedersen and Hughes their core guys should still be getting better outside of JT Miller um, the defense is going to be super suspect, so they're going to have to score their way out of the bag basically every night. Um, and the reason that might work for them is because Thatcher Demko is so good. So, you know, personally, I've been rambling on for, you know, 20 minutes here on it, but I, if, I, if I'm looking at it and I'm prognosticating how this season is going to play out, if Demko can play at or near a Vesna level, you know, a top eight type goaltender, and their top nine can do what it should do on paper – this should be a team that could contend, you know, for second in the division. Um, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Like maybe win around. They do not look like a team to me, even uh, just on paper here, even with all those guys taking steps as a true cup contender, which is what they're trying to do. You know, they're selling assets. We're looking at a team that finished in the bottom of the standings. Most of uh, you know, the majority of the last five or six years, and they have one first, one second, and one third spread over the 2020, 21, and 22 classes. Like, that's, that's just nuts. That's lunacy. You're, you're wasting all this draft capital. You're giving away prospects to be a team that maybe can win around. Um, if that's the goal, if it's to get playoff gates and to win a couple games and, and sell some merch, then, you know, they're probably going to succeed at that. If the end goal is to actually win a Stanley Cup, they are definitely not charting the right path as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think something that we talked about last week on the show was that a lot of these moves – for Jim Benning, it feels like he's just on like a one-way street with no exits. And then, you know, an exit will come down the road, you know, kilometers down the road, and it's a trade for OEL. And that's the exit that he kind of has to take just because of that that one-way road that he's kind of put himself on. And it's, 
it's a strange thing because obviously Canucks wanted to, you know, Canucks fans wanted to see a rebuild where you got extra draft picks. You made a lot of good moves to kind of build your prospect pool up and have a lot of these guys kind of coming into the organization. You know, looking at the timeline with Jim Benning, probably a rate around now. Like you would like to see a lot of your draft picks coming into the organization now. But the fact that you hit so hard on Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, I, I wonder how much that kind of changed the way that Jim Benning looked at things and kind of thought that maybe it was, you know, a sped up rebuild, kind of like he mentioned at the start of turning this team around so quick. I feel like when he hit on those two players in Pedersen and Hughes, it was like, oh, yeah, like this is what I was talking about, about a quick rebuild. It just happened to be seven years down the road. So that's, you know, to see <laughs> that him make these moves and go for it with this team, I, I do worry a little bit about... Oliver Ackman Larson, I'm in the same camp as you. You know, I I still wonder if we're going to see a pairing of him and Tyler Myers and how bad that can look defensively for the team. You know, even Pullman and, and OEL kind of worries me a little bit as well. Like I, you know, I've seen Pullman play. I thought he was okay as a third pair defensive guy, but you know, to step up and play the minutes that we're going to have to see with him and OEL, uh, it feels like a lot. And I'm, I kind of want to get you to expand a little bit more on OEL because a lot of people didn't watch a lot of Arizona Coyotes games. Uh, Daniel Wagner had the excellent report uh, a few weeks ago where he broke down a lot of OEL's game. And some of the things that he kept bringing up was, you know, defending the rush, defending around the net, a lot of things defending-wise for Oliver ekman Larson. It, it worries me a little bit if he's on a pairing with a guy like Tyler Myers or even Pullman just because I, I worry what he's going to do in his own zone. Like, I think that there's still an offensive player there, and I think maybe you can get to this a little bit. Like, his his passing's been great. He's still been effective when he was on the second power play unit last year. But t- it's just going to be another, like you kind of mentioned, a strange defense core where you don't really trust the team defensively. I mean, the defense is really Thatcher Demko. That's what it's going to feel like, and and it's going to be a lot of pressure. I don't think that's being talked about enough this year about – the pressure that's going to be on Thatcher Demko. Like, he needs to be, like you mentioned, in that top eight, top five tier of goaltenders just to keep this team afloat. So the defense, uh, and specifically Oliver ekman Larson, how do you kind of see it playing out with him as a partner? Because I've I've thought that Tyler Myers might end up being that guy as a veteran pairing, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense stylistically. Uh, do you see any road where we see Oliver ekman Larson with maybe Myers, or are you kind of sticking with the Pullman all year long? I think that there, we're going to see Travis Green probably shake it up several times because there will be no real fits. Like mm. a Tyler Myers, Oliver Ekman Larson pairing could be the most expensive, dreadful pairing that we've seen in in eons. Like th- these guys take up nearly seventeen percent of the cap for the Canucks. They're both over thirty. They're both dreadful defensively. Like Myers is an offensive defenseman who, because he's so tall, kind of gets pegged as a two-way guy. But he's just like a not-even-that-great offensive defenseman. And then, you know, OEL used to be very good defensively. His skating isn't what it was. You know, I've I've watched him over the years, too, and it's just you kind of – you see the game. It's it's not like he's forgotten how to play defense, but – so maybe there is a little bit of hope, but it's like he's forgotten how to care. Like he just will abandon the net front. Um, you know, he'll just let guys into these soft areas of the ice. And, you know, AZ just got cratered in when he was on the ice for hiding your chances against. And, you know, going to Vancouver, we're into this defense core. Like if this was a team that was built around like a bunch of really sturdy defensive defensemen, and then you throw OEL in, you're like, we're going to hope that he can finish like he knows how to, uh, you know, especially at even strength. The guys know how to, he still knows how to shoot the puck. Um, he can still distribute it, especially at five on five. His power play game has really fallen off a cliff too, which is extra strange, but he doesn't skate like he used to, but we're going to try to let him run wild. And that's one thing, but you're putting him onto a defense score that, you know, 
they have nobody who can play defense. Like, honestly, like, Tucker Pullman isn't very good defensively either. They way overpaid him. Hamannick, who also, he, you know, he has this moniker as a defensive defenseman because six or seven years ago he could do that. He hasn't been a very good defensive defenseman in a few years himself, despite being pretty sheltered, too. It's, it's in Vancouver and Calgary. Um, you know, Luke Shen, it, Jack Rathbone might be your best defensive defenseman on the, on the roster, and he probably won't even be on the team. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's going to be ugly, right? Like, we know Hughes, what he is. He's dynamic offensively and because of the wheels he can get back and he can clear the puck quickly with his feet and and with an outlet but you know once they're hemmed in like he's not he's not doing very much either so it's it's really ugly up and down the list there so they need to their their whole game has to be predicated on like getting the puck and immediately getting it out like they cannot spend time in their own zone if they do that's when high danger chances are going to come across them so um yeah i I see oel spending time with myers i see him spending time with pullman he'll probably see a little luke shen in there too um it's Nothing's going to be ideal on that back end. Like it's going to be, I, I feel like it'll be a comedy of errors for the most part. Um, and 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 you can just look at those two guys at the top of their of their cap board, right? Like OEL making two point or seven point two five, and, and Myers making six million bucks, and like those are supposed to be your guys. And now you're about to you know spend six or seven on Hughes, whatever length he gets. Um, none of them can play defense, right? And so you, you, they're not even finding these lower end guys for a million or two million bucks. They can just be like sturdy back there, and you can rely on them. They're kind of going for these in-betweeners and then hoping like Yulevi can step in, a guy who you know hasn't been able to pivot in, in a couple of years since his knee injury and his development is, is stalled. And like I, like I said, I think Rathbone probably has the potential to be the best two-way guy of the bunch, and he's probably not even going to be on the team next year. Yeah, I mean, Rathbone's an interesting one. I think that the way it's going to kind of shake down, I mean, especially with Hunt now in the situation, uh, you're going to have Yulevi, you know, battling for that spot as well. I, I've kind of, we've talked about this a little bit lately on the show, and I know Dave's been a huge supporter of Rathbone. Obviously, I've, you know, enjoyed watching him play in the AHL and the NHL. Didn't see a ton of him in the NCAA. I know you have. Um, coming into this camp, like, even if he is the best player, the way that you're kind of talking about Rathbone, even if he is the best fit, on that third pairing left shot, do you think that that's his job or kind of is it going to be given to one of these veteran players to give him more time to kind of be like a number one guy in the AHL and develop? Is that kind of how you see playing out with Rathbone or, or what are you kind of seeing coming out of training camp here with him? Yeah, I mean, they should they should allow him to, to really take Yolevi or Brad Hunt's spot there who, who probably project on paper ahead of him just because of, you know, Hunt's the veteran and he's a good player. Like he's a very good player. He's the guy who should probably be the number one in Abbotsford, mm. <clears throat> but he'll probably be that guy who sits in the, in the press box and, and gets the call when he needs to. But you know, Rathbone's not young, right? Like he's 22. He took the long road. He stayed home and played another year of prep school before going to Harvard. And then was, he was excellent. Excellent at Harvard. Even when he stepped in, playing with Adam Fox as a freshman, very, very good. And then when he took it to that next level in 1920, like he was one of the best college defensemen in the nation. And that's not just offensively. Like, yeah, he can bomb a saucer pass from behind his net to a streaking forward, like over, you know, crossing center ice all day long and at the NCAA level. Um, beautiful stuff. But also, like, getting back defensively using a good stick. He's a great skater. He's very, very smart. And so, my number one thing with defenders is, like, if you are smart and you can skate, and you can work hard, you're going to be able to play defense. Like that's that's just it. Unless you're five foot seven, you should be able to hold your own and play defense. And so he's very smart. He can skate well, and the kid works hard. So I think that he has the chops to become 
a really competent two-way guy with offensive upside. So, you know, for my money, he's the second best offensive player already on, on, on the roster. Um, he should be the guy who gets power play two minutes, not OEL, not Tyler Myers, but he'll probably be like fourth or fifth on the pecking order realistically. Um, so yeah, I, I probably would see him going down to Abbotsford and putting up a ton of points on what is projecting to be a really strong team, like a team that could contend for the Calder Cup probably um, if, they, if things break right for them. So that's not going to be a bad thing for him, especially being right down the road from, from Rogers Arena, and they can call him up quickly if they need to. But personally, at his age and the steps that he's taken over his career the last you know two, three years, um, he's, he's, he's NHL ready. Like he's, he's a guy that for a Canucks team in their situation where they're already capped out, there was no need to go out and do some of these things when they could have been like, you know, we got Rathbone. He could play number four minutes for us. And yeah, there's going to be some hiccups. There's going to be some defensive miscues. He's going to miss some assignments. He's going to take some risks that, that don't pay out. But he makes like a million bucks a year. Yeah. And it's better that he learns how to do that at 22 so that he can get better by the time he's 23, 24, 25. When you actually want to contend, he's going to be ready to go and could play you know number three minutes for you. Instead, let's pay some 30-year-old way too much money to make the same mistakes and has no upside. Like the, the upside isn't limited. It's just not there. We've already seen his upside and now we're on the downside of his career. The, those are the types of decisions that I really question. It's like we have a team who has a young core that's developing. Yeah, they want to win. Yeah, they want to get into the playoffs, but that's our fault for screwing up the first five years of their career or as they're coming up. Now we just have to do what's right for us. We need to make this team be a contender in 23, 24 Everybody will kind of be hitting their prime. You'll have your young guys pushing up, and we'll have cap space where we can go and buy free agents that'll actually help us. Instead, they just kind of said, "Screw that. We'll just we'll just put that duct tape over the bullet wound right now and see if we can't get ourselves going." And I think the the argument that would be against that is something that you know me and Dave have had this conversation quite a bit. Quads always brings it up, like this core. You were starting to see guys like Nate Schmidt kind of want to. We were wondering, like is that situation going to happen with the next group of core players? And JT Miller being the first example, uh, I think Bo Horvat's here for the long haul, no matter no matter what really happens. I mean, unless things really go south and he wants to get out of town. But, you know, even the comments from Pedersen, the, the fact that there is no contract yet with Quinn Hughes, do you think that that's a big reason why they went out and acquired Connor Garland, acquired OEL, you know, made these moves now to get, you know, become a playoff team right now, even though that they, you know, obviously Jim Benning screwed up quite a bit in the past, and that's kind of gone them to this situation but do you think that guys were about to kind of you know want off of this ship and that's kind of why they made this to this move to to become a team that looks like a playoff squad and yes i like there was something we talked about a long time before the oel deal was you know one more year of pain and you get all this money off the books that they traded away in the con in the deal for garland and i mean garland's a great player you picked him up he's going to add to this court it's, it's you know that's aside from the point i think but looking at the guys that they gave up in Beagle and Erickson and Roussel, getting that money off the books was going to come off in one year. But do you think that there was going to be, you know, guys kind of just dialing out this organization if they were to go through another year or two of really losing and not being a good team? Yeah, I mean, maybe, right? Like, uh, Besser is going to be an RFA after this year, but Horvat and Miller both have another year left on their deals. And then you could be like, okay, guys, we sucked this year. We got a good pick in a high draft in 2022, and now we have all this cap space. Now we can go out and sign some players. I'm not even sure who the, who the free agent class is projecting to be next summer, but there's probably going to be some pretty decent players out there. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and grab yourself somebody who's maybe 27, 28, overpay for them in free agency. You don't have to burn assets. You know, you keep your ninth overall pick. You got Dylan Gunther on your, on your, in your pipeline coming up now too, and you can be like, now we're going to be good. And if you're not good, 
okay, you can trade JT Miller as a rental at the deadline and probably recoup a ton of stuff if he doesn't want to be around long term. That would be the smarter. That would have, like it's all over now. Like they've they've made their bed. They need to contend. Um, Miller might walk as a free agent anyways, but they won't trade him now because in twenty two twenty three they're they're still going to have to contend with all the money that's on their books. Yeah. Um, but the the smarter move would have been to you know if these guys don't want to be here long term for the pain, and you could have talked to them, right? I, like I I I think kind of like you that Horvat is most likely going to stick around um if at the end of you know in two seasons if he's worth seven and a half million bucks they might not have the money to extend him and in which case like he might walk just purely because he can't get value here but if miller doesn't want to be around for the pain you go and you talk to him be like dude we're gonna suck this year again we're gonna we're gonna eat all this contract louis erickson all that stuff we're gonna we're gonna play him we're gonna play the kids as much as we can we're gonna hurt it's gonna lead to a good draft pick and then we're gonna be good next year and he says he doesn't want to be a part of that then trade him. JT Miller with an, another year on his deal at that cap hit at the deadline coming up here next season, it would have been worth a haul. Like, you'd be getting yourself a first, a top prospect, probably a B prospect. Like, you'd be getting a ton of stuff for him to supercharge that rebuild. And again, you're looking at 2022-23, go out and sign somebody yeah. to replace him, right? Might not be as good, might cost you a little bit more money, but if he doesn't want to be here to, to keep fighting for that, then that's an avenue you can take. But again, that's someone, like, if they had canned Benning last year, that would probably be what the new GM would have come in with a fresh mindset. Okay, we got one year of pain left. Then we open up all this cap space. We want to be able to keep Brock Besser, right? Like, he's the guy you want to be able to, to look after long-term. He's four or five years younger than JT Miller, and he's still coming up. Miller, we've seen him peak now. Now we're letting – he's kind of going to be at his plateau for a little bit, and then we're on the downside of the career. So if you maximize his potential, sell those assets when they come up. If you can. If not, you know, try to keep him at a reasonable price or contend when you have that opportunity. But um, – I think you're probably right that there has been a little bit of whispering. I've heard that too, that some of the players are not impressed with the direction of this team. And that's not just because they haven't been winning over you know the last few years. They had that success in the bubble. It's because of the way the team is being run. The it's they're getting two messages. You know, they're saying we're, we're we need two more years. And then they go out and make deals like this. Yeah. They say before, we, we're going to make this a quick rebuild, and then it takes six years before they make the playoffs. Um it's just a mixed message. It doesn't seem like there's cohesion at the top. It seems like it's kind of an echo chamber with a small management group, and that kind of trickles down. The coaches feel it. The players feel it, especially guys that are coming out of good organizations. You know, Schmidt coming out of Vegas, it's a young team, but it's a, it's proven to be a pretty stable organization. You know, Miller coming out of Tampa, obviously he stepped away a second before they win a couple of cups, but he knows what some, you know, some decently run organizations look like too. Um, Vancouver is considered in the same realm as Ottawa and Buffalo right now for how their organizations are run. And I'm sure some people out there listening to this are going to roll their eyes at that, but that is the industry belief right now. And that's on the team side. That's other, you know, teams, media, that that's a lot of the perception around the Vancouver Canucks is it is run and owned at a similar level as the Ottawa centers and the Buffalo Sabres. And that is not a place. Those aren't places that UFAs want to go to. That, that isn't places where guys will wave their no moves. And I know OEL just did, but that's, I think, uh, probably just a unique situation. And, and that's going to change. If they want to have long-term success, if they actually want to become a team that can contend for a Stanley Cup for two or three years in a row, um, they're going to need to change the perception that this is a destination that you want to come to, that we're going to build properly. We're not going to blow assets on a player for 10 games and then let him walk because we can't you know, find the time to make an offer. Uh, these just these things that you shake your head at, that guys in the team side too, they just, it's, it's kind of a running joke, is that how do they not find a way to be better? And I think that's the biggest the biggest struggle for Canucks fans is seeing 
this core, right? Like, like seeing that you have Thatcher Demko, think, seeing that you have Pedersen, Hughes, Horvat as a second C, like that feels like a core that would build around to become one of these teams that is competing for a Stanley Cup. But, you know, ever since Jim Benning's time, it's always been the surrounding cast that's been the problem, right? It hasn't been the core because the core is something that a lot of people trust will be able to, you know, get to get to that point where they're competing for a Stanley Cup. If you're just looking at the core, they have one of the best cores in the NHL. It's a great young group. It's guys that are, you know, first-line centers, first-line, first-pair defensemen, uh, you know, a, a leader like Horvat who you'd like to see. But then it's everyone that surrounds it that's been the problem. And I think we're seeing a shake-up, obviously, from what it was in years past or what it is now, but it's still a lot of, I don't want to say like similar guys, but it just feels like it has a similar taste almost a little bit specifically. I mean, you look at OEL that, that contract's massive. It's, it's going to be here for a long time. He, like you've kind of said earlier in this conversation, you know, we're not getting peak OEL. You're getting a guy who's declining. And I'm sure that a move to Vancouver has to help his game just a little bit. Like you mentioned, he, you know, he's probably dialed out pretty hard of Arizona. I don't know how if it, completely flip-flops his game. I don't think it's going to make him into, you know, a top-pairing defenseman when he gets to Vancouver. I do think there's going to be part of his game that, you know, is kind of re-energized being in the new market, potentially playing with different guys, being with a good group of offensive players. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll actually end up taking our break here just in a minute uh, and kind of touch on the forward group. Because I think we're going to, we're actually going to get kind of positive maybe on the other side uh, about the forward group that's been assembled here. Uh, and we'll touch on some prospects as well. Uh, so yeah, maybe we'll just throw to a quick break. We'll come back on the other side, uh, and then we'll just dive into the forward group, the top nine that I think we're both excited for, uh, and then dive into the prospect pool, something I love to do and something you love to do. So hold tight, folks. We're going to take a quick ad break here. We'll see you guys on the other side. All right. You guys all know about Parallel 49 Beer from our commercials here on the show, and now we have a new announcement. Hello, Peach Bod. That's right. It's not all about the Beach Bod this summer. It's all about the Peach Bod this summer. This one's an interesting one, folks. A sparkling peach ale. So you're getting a beer with peach flavor on it, but it's also high in carbonation. It's definitely a different one, and I highly recommend going out there and giving it a try if you're into a peach-flavored beer. And that's something, you know, I'm pretty damn into. So go out there and try the Peach Bod for yourself from Parallel 49 Beer. Check them out on Instagram, at Parallel 49, as in the numbers, and then beer, that's Parallel 49 Beer. And be sure to check out their website for more information about how you can get beer through Uber Eats. That's right, through those food delivery apps. Uber Eats, you can get your delivery from Parallel 49 Beer. Be sure to check out their website, Parallel49Brewing.com. That's parallel, the number is 49brewing.com. The pandemic and a slow economy are making it tough on a lot of people to find steady, good-paying work. But one industry is bucking that trend. Construction companies are hiring and need more workers than ever before. Upload your resume to icba.ca and get noticed. With more than 3,000 employers on our ICBA team, our employment network can connect you to businesses crewing up for the 2021 construction season. Trades jobs that pay well, offer excellent benefits, invest in safety training, and give a firm career foundation. Check out icba.ca slash jobs. And a special one-time only ad here for Squish Hard Seltzer. You can find them on Instagram to get the latest updates. Easy search for you on Instagram. It's Squish Hard Seltzer. Maybe comment on one of their pictures. Tell them you came there from Canucks Convo. Let them know that uh, that these ads are working, and we would love for them to continue supporting us. Uh, but man, Squish Squish Hard Seltzer, 
my favorite drink so far this summer. The lemonade's what you got to get out and try. And they recently released six packs of their cherry lime hard seltzer as well. A little bit of a different one, not low sugar. This one's got a little bit of sugar in there to give you just enough sweetness, but the most crushable beverage you will have this summer. So go out, try yourself a Squish Hard Seltzer, and be sure to give them a follow on Instagram at Squish Hard Seltzer. So yeah, I believe the editing worked. I think that uh, first half went pretty smooth, maybe a couple of jumps in audio here and there, but uh, here's just a quick example of what it actually sounded like off the top before a lot of editing. Your thoughts right off the bat, where do you kind of see you fitting in immediately, and where do you kind of see you fitting in at the end of the year? So yeah, uh, we, we did a lot of editing to get this out. Uh, second half of the episode, a lot of good talk about the top nine and a lot of talk about the prospects. So just wanted to give a big thank you to our sponsors first and foremost. And uh, we'll just jump right into the conversation um, after missing the first minute or so of part two. For years now, you know, ever since that draft of the 2019 draft of the Canucks selected Pod Colson and Huglander, everybody's ranking has had Pod Colson as the higher player. I mean, every prospect ranking I've seen over the past, you know, two years of it, I guess even this year as well, starting to see, you know, some people put out their pyramids. Uh, that seems to be the theme of this year's prospect reports. Uh, I, I just, it's weird to think that Huglander came in and made so much of an impact that kind of, like you mentioned, shocked you, shocked me, shocked a lot of people that saw what Huglander was doing at the SHL level. But I've always thought that Pod Colson in the end was going to be a bigger difference maker than Huglander. And we saw what Huglander does in his rookie year. Do you still think that Pod Colson is going to be the more impactful NHL player? Like, if you're building out a middle six in the NHL from a team from scratch, are you taking Pod Colson or Huglander, especially after seeing what he did last year? Pod Colson. No, I'm, I'm still taking Pod Colson. Um, you know, he's six months younger than Huglander, too. Um, but just his game is, it's like a, it's what you want in a player. Like he's like, sure. You'd like him to be able to dangle through the whole team and finish on his own. But like outside of that, like he is an excellent player at basically everything. And he's one of these guys that when the chips are down and it's time in the playoffs where the whistles get put away and it's meat and potatoes grinded out. Now go and force yourself into a goal on the goal line, smashing and crashing. Like he's the guy you want in your corner. Um, so for me, I think that he's just this jack of all trades that you can fit him. He can play on your fourth line, right? Left wing, even. Yeah. He can play on your first line, right wing. Like he, he can move all around the lineup. P, PP, PK, um, hit and bang with the best of them or, you know, subtle sauce backhand passes into the middle right onto a guy's tape. Like he's got skills offensively as well. So no, for me, it's always been Pod Colson. Uh, you know, I think I had him seven on my board that year in 2019 when he got, when he got drafted. And I was very high on Huglander too. He was in my top. 23 or 24 or something like that. I think Adam 23. Um, so I, I was, I've been high on both of them for a long time. Hoglander has that kind of pure nifty fancy skills that when you give him a little bit of space, he can do some damage. And I think we're going to see that more in the NHL too, as his confidence rises and he gets more accustomed to it and he gets a little speedier. Uh, but no, it's, it's still Pod Colson for me. And I think that he'll have a similar, but different impact on the Canucks this year that he's going to be one of these guys that everyone's like man he's kids really good um but it's more nuanced it's more you're you're watching him he's staying on the right side of the puck he's finishing checks um he's getting the puck in deep and then he's going and banging the body and recovering it and things like that versus Hoglander you know he he made some really nice plays and he drove some offense too but some of the things that he did that got the fans excited were were more glaring they're more in your face offensive skills and so they might have to look a little bit harder to to really appreciate Pod Colson's game but it's it's very strong yeah, he might not sell as many jerseys as Huglander, but, you know, maybe he might in the end. If he starts dropping the gloves, people are going to get involved with that. I know that, you know, there was, I think it was 18 games that I tracked last year uh, in the KHL for Pod Colson, and he sits at over 60% 
of a Corsi percentage. I mean, controlling a ton of possessions in a fourth line role with kind of the bottom end players of Ska there. You know, just damn impressive, and I think Canucks fans are going to see that from day one. Um, I, I want to get into the top nine. Obviously, it's changed quite a bit. Connor Garland's going to be a huge addition, and you know, we're not really getting away from Huglander and Pod Colson just yet because uh, we're we're all kind of expecting Garland to be you know winger for Horvat. The other winger spot I still think is up for battle in camp here. I think that Huglander kind of has the inside track. If you're looking at it from a veteran standpoint, Tanner Pearson I guess has the inside track. But to me, you bring in a smaller winger like Garland. I wonder if Pod Colson is even an option at that point to be on that second line with Horvat. We kind of touched on it. Uh, Pod Colson's vision is something that I don't think gets talked about enough. The playmaking that he's done at World Juniors and with Scott just not having the finishes happen for him, I think that he's going to have a lot more just primary assists once he gets to the NHL in a similar way to, to what Niels Huglander did playing with third liners in the SHL as well. Like when he gets with better wingers, I think his points are going to go up to, you know, not, not to point to game levels, but I do think that Pod Colson is going to start to put up a lot more points in the NHL so for for you is is that a is that a battle that Pod Colson might be able to get himself into or is it just kind of between Pearson and Huglander to get on Horvat's wing man I, I think that there's a lot of options here you know like Garland is Garland's kind of a sniper like he's he's a guy who plays primarily on the right side as far as I know um but he's a left or, or he's, yeah he's a he's a right shot kid who plays on the right side but like he can finish really well like I think that if they you know, which is the inverse for for Pod Colson, a left shot kid who plays on the right side, right. is that they could look at you know if Pod Colson plays really well and deserves the call, but he could play on the right side, and you could put Garland on the left side, and now you have your two shooters on their opposite wings, both just ready to let him rip off the rush, right? Like it makes it a little bit harder coming out of your zone when you're on when you're on, your, on your backhand. Um, but Garland, he's a, he's a pro. I, I think that he would be able to handle that transition well. Um, I just think that honestly, like it'll probably be Tanner Pearson with Horvat and Garland to start the year anyways. Like he's Pearson has the contract. They've, they placed all this faith in him for some reason. Green knows him. Um, so it'll probably be just like an easy slot in into that spot. And then you're looking at Hoglander, Dickinson and Pod Colson on a kind of a fun third line. Yeah. Uh, you're not really unleashing Hoglander in that role there. But yeah, I think that there's lots of opportunities to move guys to their off wings, shuffle things around, get different looks, have guys coming in off the rush with their, you know, blade on the inside of the ice. And that's, a, that's a great spot to be in. Like I'm a right shot kid who used to play the right wing, but I used to love it when, you know, we crisscross on the zone or if I, you know, get moved over to the left side and you can find yourself a little ice and like, you can let it fly off the rush. So um, I think Garland's a good enough player and he's really coming up with that shooting ability that if you put him on his off wing, like it could get, it could get really fun for the Canucks. And, you know, people have kind of talked about him as potentially being like a Brad Marchand later in his career, elevating into this like star status. And I don't think he's got that kind of chops. I also didn't think Marchand had that kind of chops either, but he doesn't have David Pasternak to play with or produce Bergeron either, but he's got kind of that ability to move around the lineup a little bit and finish off the rush, finish in dirty areas. Um, he's got great hands. So, so I think the addition of Garland really opens up a lot of potential uh, options for the club. I, I'm kind of in the camp with you where, like, I, I don't personally want it, but I do believe that we are going to see Pearson on the second line to start the season. But to me, that third line, like you mentioned it, that's that's a really exciting third line. Uh, seeing Hugliner and Pod Colson play together, two guys who are extremely aggressive on the forecheck. You put Jason Dickinson between them, a guy who's defensively responsible. I think you can you can go out on a limb and say that you know Hugliner and Pod Colson are defensively responsible in their own right, especially Pod Colson. 
the options are exciting, right? Like the like we haven't even touched about mixing up the lotto line at all. Like there are still options there as well. So uh, that's going to be the biggest difference I'm going to see from a top nine. And you kind of touched on it with the third line. Is this is the first time in a long time I've been excited to see a third line be trotted out there for the Vancouver Canucks. It's a lot different than what we saw last year. Uh, it's a lot different than what we've seen over the past five, six years of this team anyway. So I'm excited to just see a top nine group that I'm excited every time each player hits the ice. Each line can bring something that I that I would like to see. So it's going to be good to kind of watch them this year. A big change uh, from last year as well. And, and Cam, we're kind of wrapping up here, but I, I got to talk some prospects with you. Uh, it's something I wanted to do with you, of course, uh, because Quads had Kevin Woodley on to talk goaltenders and that was just horrible podcasting horrible radio way too much goaltenders so we're not going to talk anything about silos we're not going to talk anything about Koskenvu uh, but I want to talk about some of the players overseas to start with that Canucks fans should maybe be excited for. Uh, the first one is is kind of the one that I'm most excited for to see what they do this year specifically because I think he's going to get a lot of situations where he can play, you know, on big stages. And that's uh, Dmitry Zlodiev, who has a chance of making it to the KHL this year. I know he's been battling for that fourth line center spot right now, uh, and also going to get an opportunity at the World Juniors this year. From a lot of people that I've talked to, seems like a lock for Russia's World Junior team. Uh, what are you kind of expecting from Zlodiev this year, and do you believe that he is a lock for the World Junior team? Hmm, I wouldn't say lock. We'll see how he does this year, but he fits. He definitely fits the the profile of a bottom six center for the Russian club. They love bringing nineteen year olds, right? And right. so he had a chance to make that. He had a chance, in my mind, to make that team last year and, and didn't really get a sniff. Um, and so now he's a nineteen year old. He plays the middle of the ice. He's pretty defensively responsible. He has you know experience playing pros in the VHL last year. He's probably going to have a lot more experience playing against the, in the V or even limited minutes in the KHL. So yeah, I think there's a very very good chance that he's there. Um, depends on where he's playing, I think, is going to impact the the season that he has statistically, obviously, right? Like, if he's playing much of his year in the VHL, he's probably going to put up some decent points. Like, maybe he puts up, you know, 0.75 points a game in the V, and I think that that's really good. Um, if he's playing in the KHL, like, don't expect really any points at all. Um, if he finds himself back in the MHL, like, now we're a little concerned. Um, I'm not loving him in the MHL, especially last year. He didn't he didn't look all that great. I thought he looked better in the with Dynamo in the VHL than he did in the MHL. Um, he was pretty invisible in the playoffs. Like, it wasn't a great year offensively for him, but that's not necessarily his role anyways, right? Like, he's not supposed to be this Dynamo. So, yeah, I, I think that you're right that he's going to have an opportunity to play on a big stage like like the the U20s um and then maybe get a couple of cups of coffee in the KHL if he can't crack the the lineup but you know for a six round pick like he's he's got some jam he's got he's, he can skate pretty well he can handle himself uh, you know he's long term he's a guy that you're hoping breaks right as a bottom six guy but there's the better than decent chance that he's just a KHL or two yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting to see him develop, and I think this, like you, like we kind of said, big stage for him of the World Juniors this year to see what he can do, uh, and I'm hoping that he can push for that KHL spot for for a 19 year old to jump into the KHL. I mean, pretty good spot to be in for him. He's not he's not doing it on one of these massive organizations like CSKA or SKA, but you know, to see him get an opportunity in the KHL would be huge for his development, anyways. And uh, one guy who who you know took the stage last year and obviously won over a lot of Canucks fans. Uh, Arvid Kosmarth, uh, he's going to end up playing probably right wing for Link Coping in the SHL this year. Was that just kind of a flash in the pan that got Canucks fans excited, or is there anything to this Arvid Kosmarth player, do you think? 
No, he's a he's a player. He he's another one that we're far from a sure thing. Um, but you know, when when they drafted him, I liked that because he was very young for that class in 2019. Um, he's still just barely 20 years old right now. He he keeps his feet moving all the time, right? Like he he worked hard. He can defensively, he's pretty. I'd say pretty nuanced. You know, he cuts off passing lanes pretty well. He uses a good stick. He has his head on a swivel. Um, and then offensively, obviously, at the J20 level, like, he's just a monster. And he has been for a couple of seasons, right? Like, even in his draft year, like, he was awesome in the J20 for Lake Hoping. Um, got a cup of coffee in the SHL. Uh, and then, you know, in his draft plus one, just blew it out, right? Like, almost two points a game there. Um, last year, he played just a, just a handful of games and over two points a game. And, and I thought he was pretty good in the SHL. You know, the games I looked at and, and tracked of his, that he, he didn't get a ton of minutes, but he, he kept his head above water. He was making smart plays, you know, transitioning the puck through the neutral zone and getting it in deep. Um, he, I expect his role will be elevated this year. And obviously, he had the, a really nice world juniors, even though he didn't have a ton of points, but he was impactful, right? And that's the kind of the name of the game for him is even when he's not putting up points, he can still impact the game pretty well. And I like that, especially in my deep cuts, right? In those late round flyers. So 5'11", 180, 185 pounds, you know, he's not big, he's, but he's pretty sturdy. He's not electric. He's another one of these guys that it's just, it's tough to pin down what kind of role he's going to play long-term if he's going to be a part of the Canucks future. And so that's what you get with seventh rounders, right? Like he's going to need to, something's going to need to really pop either it's his defensive game um, or if it's offensive game, which he definitely has in his back pocket, um, but it's going to have to really pop for him to to elevate up to be a top nine guy in the NHL. So it, it's tough with these kids like this, but he's, he's definitely one to keep an eye on and see if he can progress the way he has over the last couple of seasons, because these are the steps you need to take as a seventh rounder. You need to take big, strides every year as soon as you stagnate it's basically like oh have fun as a euro pro because that's probably all you're going to be <laughs> and, and you know speaking of seventh rounders that take big steps uh aiden mcdonough long strides on him and you know big year for him as he comes into his junior year uh, i think he's climbed up a lot of the prospect rankings you know ever since he was drafted uh, in 2019 the seventh round as an overager what does this year mean for mcdonough like is this the make or break year as he's a junior player or is it kind of you know, to become a pro, is he, is he going to get another opportunity to kind of win that role as a senior, or does he have to do that in his junior year this year? Oh, it, uh, it's time. Like, he, he's been good. He's been good for Northeastern, really good. Like, that shot, obviously, especially on the power play. Like, he knows how to finish. You give him some time, that's the key, though, is you get a little more time on the power play, and he can let it unleash. So finding a way to get open and find that time at even strength that's kind of been what's been holding him back from putting up big numbers. But he's a big boy. I think the skating has been improving incrementally over the last couple seasons for the Huskies. Now I need to see it take another step. Like, it's got to really take a step forward this year. If he can go out and dump, like, 45 points in 30 games or something like that, scoring those goals, finding more even-strength offense, bring him out. Sign him. Put him in, in Abbotsford and let him work it out for a couple more years. Get him with the skating coaches because there is that finishing ability. We we're talking about Cosmar. It's like something needs to pop. Right. For McDonough, hits his shot. He can shoot it. He, that's something that can pop. That's something that you could project as like if he can get around the ice well enough, he could be on your second power play and he could be someone who could hurt other teams in a in a more nuanced depth role. Um, if it can't, again, you know, go have fun in Europe, kid, because it's just not going to work out. But I, I like his progression, and, you know, the Canucks covered is pretty darn bare these days, you know, with the assumption that Paul Colson and Rathbone graduate this year. Um, so for my money, you know, McDonough's a top five prospect in this in this organization, maybe top six. Um, and as a whatever he was, he a seventh as well or a sixth? Yeah, He's seventh. a seventh, I think. Yeah, that, that's it's good for him. It says that he's been taking the right strides, but it's fairly damning for the organization as a whole. 
Yeah, uh, I think that another one that I want to dive into, uh, probably another top five prospect on the Canucks list as well, uh, in Danila Klimovic. It's it's been tough to watch. I've been seeing him, you know, in the Belarusian first division. Didn't get a chance. I could not find the second division tape, uh, but been able to watch a lot of him in the U18s. Watch a lot of him in the Belarus leagues. And, and even this year, getting some KHL preseason action as well. Just the way that he skated, he, he looked like a guy who could play at the KHL level, at least with his skating. Like, he didn't get to really see a lot defensively from him, but he didn't look out of place skating-wise uh, in the KHL preseason games. We're likely to see him in the QMJHL, I believe, and maybe you can correct me on that if, if you've heard otherwise. But for Danila Klimovic, what should Canucks fans kind of expect to see? Because we are going to get to see him at camp this year anyways. Yeah, I do expect him to play in, in the queue. Um, and it's, uh, Nor Ren, I believe, who owns his rights. Um, so they're not, not a great club. Um, he is, I, I don't think it's, it's a, it's a secret that I didn't love the pick. Um, but that doesn't mean it won't work out long in the long run. I just felt like the team really kind of left a ton of skill on the board um, for a player that is a project. Like he is a project pick if there ever was one in the top 50. So, you know, kid's got good handling. You know, his top hand, the way he can control the puck and push it away from his body. He's got, you know, precision in it. He can link up moves together. Um, he's got quick reaction times for when guys, you know, go for the poke check. Um, his shot, right? The, the kid can shoot it, right? Like his, his, it's, it's a very nice shot, the way that he can pull it in and release it. He can get his top arm out, his elbow up. He can create distance between his feet and the downward force so that he can really rip it to um, his small area awareness and passing game can be hit or miss. Um, his anticipation and engagement are probably always there. I think he's an engaged player. Um, defensively, that's maybe sometimes where you can miss him sometimes. But he, he, I, overall, I'd say that he's a pretty strong defensive player and he's engaged. He gets on the back check. He gets on the four check. Um, now, he overhandles. I don't, I don't know anyone who's watched this kid play who wouldn't say that about him. He overestimates his own skill, I would say. Um, so even at the second-tier level in Belarus, which is not high-level hockey, he overestimates his own ability to just waltz through defenders. And when that happens and he loses the puck, he gets sniffed out, um, that temper, right, that quick twitch on him. And it's not... It's not the type of temper that you always love to see, right? Like some guys will get the puck stolen from them or they'll make a dumb play and then they just go and bury somebody behind the net on a nice, clean hit. Um, he's more of the long lines of, like, I'm going to take a hack at the back of the guy's knee. I'm going to punch someone in the face. I'm going to do these things. That has to clean up. He's going to the queue. That is going to definitely have to clean up, or he's going to see a lot of suspensions. He's going to get tossed with these type of things. Um, the temper needs to be contained. His skating. He works hard. He's a strong kid already. I, I don't think we're expecting him to add too much more weight to his frame. Like, I think he's already about 200 pounds. Yeah. So when you look at some some players that their technical straight skating stride isn't great, you can well, they're 170 pounds. Like, they need to improve their core and leg strength, and that's going to help keep their knees bent. It's going to help get rid of that hunch. He's got a hunched over, rounded back. He's got a wide kind of base that he loses a lot of agility and a lot of power in his skating stride. Um, he's going to need to get in with a good skating coach and really kind of overhaul his entire his entire technique for that in order to be someone who can get that shot off, be able to use those good hands that he has. They're not elite, but they're good hands. That yeah, I, I think that going to the queue is going to be good for him. He should put up big numbers. He should get big penalty minutes. He should be one of these guys that teams hate to play against, and I think he should play two years there. You know, like he's, he was coming in and the word was saying like, Hey, I'm going to come make the Canucks this year. To me, that 
good for you for feeling that way, but like, uh, there's no way that this kid's NHL ready. Like, he, he's not even AHL ready. Like, if he went there, I'm sure he could keep his head above water, but it would be detrimental to him long term. I'd put him in the queue for at least one year, unless he really blew it out. Put him back there for another year or two. Then bring him up to the AHL. Bring him along slowly because at the end of the day, like if you have to wait five years, but you get a middle six kid who can shoot it, who can handle it well, and can play with a mean streak that is under control, that's going to be worth the 40th pick overall. Yeah. If you rush him, if he ends up not being able to, to handle the pace of play, if he can't get the temper under control, um, if he can't get open at five on five, back to the KHL. That's it, right? Like he's he's not going to be that player that's going to play in your bottom six and be really effective in that role. I don't think, um, unless he overhauls his game a little bit. So for me, I think he's an interesting player. Obviously, he just shot the lights out at the U18s and got everybody interested in him. Benning was down there at the U18s. We know how Jim loves his his small sample sizes at these tournaments. Um, so obviously, he saw him score some goals on the on the on the B side of the pool, and was like, "This kid's got upside," and he does. Right? Like we were talking about it in our Slack group at EP Ringside. We're like, Klimovich, I wasn't scouting the Belarusian second tier league before he started shooting it at the U18s. Yeah. Now we got to go back and watch him. Um, so the fact that he was really really good at the U18s for a really weak team in a short tournament, that's great wasn't nearly as good playing second tier minutes in the Belarusian league. Like there were some kids his same age that played in the top tier that performed much better than he did, even in his cup of coffee over there that did not get drafted. And yes, that's because they didn't have different skill sets. There is some upside here, but you know, I had some, I had some guys tell me that, yeah, he was probably going to go in the top 60. If Vancouver didn't take him, he was probably going to go in the top 60 anyways. And because Vancouver, you know, didn't have a third or a fourth, I don't think they jumped on the guy that they liked. And I'm sure that was Jim's pick. Um, but they they took a, a lot of risk on it, and I'm not sure there's enough upside to warrant it with the skill that was on the board at the time. But he's part of the organization now, so let's see what he can do in the queue this year. Expects big points, though. Like we want to see big points from him. If he can't pull that out next season, then we've got a real concern. Yeah, I mean, it's a big question mark, obviously. Getting into the queue is going to be a good spot for, I guess, maybe, like you said, kind of working on some more of that structure, controlling that anger a little bit. Because, like you said, you know, if he starts to pull that crap here, it is going to be suspension. That's what we're going to end up seeing. So I'm excited because I just think that, you know, out of that group, uh, you know, you know, I like my gifts on Twitter. Uh, he's probably going to be the number one guy. Uh, but I'm wondering, do you think anyone's going to compete for that? Out of all the Canucks prospects, I've been calling him my gift horse. Uh, is Danila Kinovich going to be the top one, or should I be looking for someone else to maybe show me some highlights that Canucks Twitter is going to fall in love with? Oh gosh, no, he's probably going to be your main your your main cat this year. But that's again, that's because their their prospect covered is is yeah. pretty stinky these days, right? Like it's if Kosmar ends up. Oh, I guess he's too old for the J20 anyways. I was going to say, if he ended up back in juniors, then yeah, he he would put up some crazy gifts for you. But um, no, it's. McDonough, he's going to rip it on the PP a bunch too. But no, Klimovich, he'll be the guy getting you all your likes this year, I'd say. What about, uh, last guy I want to ask about, uh, coming over to the WHL, another seventh-round pick that happens to be, but Victor Pearson making a jump to uh, Kamloops over there. Excellent team in Kamloops from what I covered last year with the Giants uh, and doing their broadcasts. Uh, what do you kind of expect from him because he didn't really get a chance to play this past year? I like this kid a lot. 
So, you know, we're hitting all these deep cuts and these seventh rounders. I like this kid a lot and Beach will appreciate me saying so. Um, but a six foot two, you know, 190 pound right shot defenseman who is mobile, who has tons of offensive instincts. Um, you know, he was, he was good in the J20. He was good in the A10, that third division. I thought he was okay in his little cup of coffee with Brinus in the, in the SHL too. Um, he was supposed to play for the Blazers already. Yeah. He was, I, I'm pretty sure he was supposed to come over last year and, and obviously the COVID didn't, didn't let it happen. But no, I think he's going to be a really good player. It'll be a one and done for the Blazers, um, but there it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun team for him and, and somebody that, like I said, I, I think that there's upside here. Um, you know, I don't know if Connor Zary is going to be back again to play. You know, to get these guys that are going to put up a ton of points, but you know, Stankoven's going to be there again. Um, it, it's it's someone to watch, someone who could you could look at and be like, I could see a way that he can chart his path to being a number five, number six guy. And if you can get that out of the seventh round, you take it all day. Um, he's got the size, he's got the skating, he's got the wherewithal. Now let's see what he can do in North America. Yeah, If he can have a really strong season and he can take and he can steal minutes on this, on this Blazers club and maybe get on the power play and really drive offense and, and show some more technical side on his defensive side because he has played against pros. This will be a different setting for him playing against younger guys again. Um, he should be one of the better players on that team, on that blue line. So then if he can do that for you, okay, great. Now let's get him up to Abbotsford in a depth role for his first year, second year grow up. You know, by the time he's 23, maybe you've got yourself a player. It's, it's an interesting spot for that type of move. Like you mentioned, going from pro, coming to the WHL. I'm sure you would know this a lot more than I, but like, is that something that it's just kind of happened recently? Like, I don't know that happening for a long time uh, in the WHL. And how do you think that's going to work out for him? I mean, it's, or even kind of like that route for anybody to go, you know, play professional hockey in Europe and then come over here, jump into the CHL uh, and play in that division. I think we're seeing that a lot more over the past, you know, actually we're going to see a lot more this year than we've really seen in the past, it feels like. Yeah, it does happen, especially with some of these later round guys who have their CHL rights. You know, they get they get taken in the import draft. And for him, though, it's because he had to stay an extra year, right? Like he should have been overplaying Kamloops already, and then he wouldn't have had the pro experience. Right. Um, so that's that happens more more often than not. Is a guy will get drafted to an NHL team be in a program in Finland or Sweden or Russia and the NHL team's like, we're going to sign you right away and we want you to come over and play for your CHL club that owns your rights. And so they come over as an 18-year-old and then they don't have the pro experience. But it does happen sometimes where they stick around for a 19-year-old year and get a get a look in the Liga or in the Old skin or something like that and then they come over. And, and I don't think it's detrimental. I think it can be coming over to the CHL is really nice for these Euro kids for a couple of reasons. Obviously they get to practice their English, the culture shock gets reduced when they're a teenager, uh, the, you know, the size of the rink, the NHL style schedule, right? The, yeah. It's not quite the NHL, but it's, you know, it's games every two, three nights, fitting in practices, fitting in the gym time. And, you know, he'll be 18, 19, 20. So it doesn't matter for him, but school for some of these kids when they're younger too, that they have to work in. And so it's like, you grow up quickly, right? So playing over in Europe, it's, it's a similar thing where if you're, especially if you're playing in the pros, um, you're handling all that stuff too, but they have a lighter schedule. Same with kids that are going you, you USHL to NCAA, right? There's more time in the gym, not as many games, more practices is great for developing, but it's, not really acclimatizing you for what to be ready for in the NHL. Absolutely. Well, we've, we've pretty much gone through the exciting guys from the pipeline anyways. Weird how many seventh-round picks we just talked about. Uh, but I guess that's what's <laughs> going for the Canucks pipeline. Uh, Cam, really appreciate you taking the time. I'll let you get back. I'm sure you got uh, a water fight to get to with the kids. I saw you ripping them apart uh, a couple weeks ago on Instagram there. 
<laughs> yeah, that was a good time. I, I looked like I might have been ripping them apart, but man, they ganged up on me, taking on like a dozen six year olds. They got they got game too. Did you uh, did you have to whistle out and grab the hose? Is that uh, is that the go to? No, no way. I was uh, I did make a couple kids cry though. I, I blasted some you know some girl. I was just like a running fastball with the water balloon and caught her right in the thighs uh. and the big slap. Well, I just kept on going. I got my gun, and I'm like, she'll be fine. But, uh, she got me back later with a, with, a, with a nut shot, too, with a balloon that didn't break. So we're, we're even at the end of the day. That would be what I would be worried about the most. I mean, if you're going against the kids, they're right there. Just right there for the nut shots oh, and the water balloons. True. I got to wear a cup next year. It's, this is the second year I've done it for my son's birthday party. And like, so I did it, I did it last summer and like the kids were talking about it all year. And so, uh, you know, I teach at the same school that they all go to. And so they're talking about it. Like it's getting close to spring and they're like, you know, already coming up with schemes on how they're going to take me down next summer. And, uh, it's like grown all over the Island. This, this water fight that we do for a guy's birthday party. So I've really got to gear up. I'm going to have to get like one of those water guns with the backpack. So I don't have to reload ever. Yeah. I'll have to that yeah i remember when i was a kid i had uh, one of the best christmas presents i ever got and kind of a strange thing to get for christmas in a water gun but i ended up getting like it was like a spider-man kind of like rocket launcher type water gun like it went over your shoulder and you pumped it and fired it like a rocket launcher it was unreal it was like one of the coolest things i ever had and then you show up to a water fight and you have a rocket launcher it kind of blew people away so you might need to find that one on ebay or something I like it. I like it. I used to have like all the super soakers as they're coming out as I was a kid too. You like the little handheld pussy ones and then they grow up and get bigger and bigger, these jumbo <laughs> ones, but uh, yeah, big old rocket launcher. That sounds pretty fun. Oh, it was, it was the best. So, uh, you know, it's been a great chat here. Cam, appreciate you uh, taking an hour plus out of your day here to jump on the show cover for quads. Let him get his camping on, uh, as he's probably sitting in a cabin right now or washing his hands at the sink or something, but I uh, appreciate you taking the yeah, time. Like a uh, lots of obviously lots of stuff coming up on Elite Prospects. EP Ringside has been crushing it. You know, I'm a subscriber, of course. Uh, you're the director of film scouting there. What's what's it kind of like look for you guys now? I mean, after everything that happened with the NHL draft, where are you guys kind of going in the direction now, moving into the season? Yeah, so you know, it's we, we're we're taking some a little pause, a little breather right now. Some of us are on vacation. You know, I've just scaled down my writing. I, I cut back to about four or five articles this month, down from the eight or ten I usually do. And we're all just taking a break, but uh, but we're already watching games, right? Watching some some D minus one tape on some players. I was just watching some Connor Geeky there last night, late night. Um, so it's gonna be a fun class coming up. So we're gonna have tons and tons of content. Obviously, on our other side, we got you know Filipovich and a bunch of great smart people, Jay Fresh, writing some fun stuff about current NHLers getting ready for the season. And I'll be doing some fantasy stuff too, you know, guys to look to step up, to fall back. So always a ton of content at EP Rinkside. Um, yeah, especially we'll start really cranking it up probably here in September and, and dive into the scouting season too. And for people that, you know, everybody uses elite prospects, but can you kind of just explain what the difference is for EP Rinkside? Because that's where you actually get the content behind, you know, what elite prospects kind of already is. Yeah, so like you said, you know, Elite Prospects, everybody uses it to get their stats. But so EP Ringside, you get a subscription. Um, you can do it monthly or every three months, six months, or yearly and save on save on the cost when you go long like that. And so that gives you, just on the stats pages, that gives you more more statistics. It gives you their game logs. So you can look at how players are doing game by game and the minutes they're getting and their power play deployment and their shots and all that stuff. Um, but then, yeah, EP Ringside. So, you know, I'm not biased or anything, but I think that, despite how small our group is and we've maybe got i don't know 12 or, or 15 people on staff right now that we rival the athletic for the amount of content and the quality of content that we put out so you go to the ep ringside main page during the season um or to start the year and it's you know we're putting out four or five articles every single day and it's, so it's a range across the league we're looking at prospects deep dives on 
players that are already drafted, kids that are coming up, you know, big trades that are happening, players that are slumping in the NHL. So we've got all kind of the bases covered. Um, we're doing our rankings. We got our draft guide that gets included with EP ringside. And this thing was like a thousand page document this year. And so that's the game notes, scouting notes, player reports, uh, our rankings, our upside. We, we've got all sorts of goodies for you over there too. So look for look for promo codes when we're pumping them off if you want to get a little deal um it's it's i think it's well worth the money i was a subscriber before they even hired me so i i, I think that that's a pretty good uh, call to as well yeah most definitely and you know i'm a subscriber you you brought up the the game by game things awesome but one of the other parts that i kind of like about just the elite prospects player pages uh is seeing the connections i believe you have to be an e uh, ringside subscriber to get that but you can see you know which players they've played with how many years they've played with where they play with them which coaches coach them like that connections part of the uh, elite prospect profile is pretty great as well totally yeah it's it's all good there's there's nothing but good stuff over there and so you know if, if you want to just give it a try for a month right like it's there's no harm it won't hurt your bank account that much and and see it and i bet you you'll be hooked yeah absolutely well you got me hooked for sure and uh cam really appreciate you taking the time again man uh we'll definitely have to do this down the road chat some more prospects chat about the canucks and uh just chat hockey in general maybe some water guns or we can teach quad some camping trips uh about the vodka and the water bottles or something I was going to say, we got to take him camping to a music festival, show him what real camping's all about, eh? He, he might be able to outwork us. Is that a 21-year-old? He's probably still got the body for it. I don't know uh, if I can hold up on it. We'll see. We got that veteran experience, though. <laughs> that is true. I don't know. Uh, we'll see if I've fallen off like a defenseman after uh, at my age right now. We'll have to see what happens. But uh, definitely worth a shot. We'll get quads out, see what he does yeah, we- with a bottle of vodka anyways. Yeah, man, we'd look good night one anyway, maybe not night or, uh, night two or three. Yeah, absolutely. We're not showing up on Wednesday. We're showing up on Friday or Saturday night for sure. That's right. That's awesome. right. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on, buddy. Yeah, you betcha, Cam. Appreciate you coming on, and, uh, and we'll chat soon, man. Sounds good. Well, there it is, folks. A huge thank you to Cam Robinson for stepping in and co-hosting in place of David Quadrelli. That wraps it up for this episode. We'll be back in the studio uh, for Saturday's episode. It's sure to be a fun one with Quads returning from camping, it seems. If not, I do have another co-host lined up, and we will be recording in the studio uh, so I don't have to edit as much as I had to do for this episode. So we'll wrap things up there for my co-host Cam Robinson this week. My name is Chris Faber, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Canucks Conversation.